Good morning, everyone. <laughs> I hope all of you are well. You're doing well. Lee and I have been gone for a couple of weeks, and it's great to be back with you. Good to see all your smiling faces, and uh, just really great to be back with you today. Before I jump into my lesson, I wanted to say the last time that I was here, there was this amazing event happening in this auditorium. It was Women's Day. And uh, I got to sneak into Women's Day, and it was, it was just so incredible and uh, so encouraging, it's so amazing, doing good for the community, a tremendous lesson, and um, just so much energy as well, so much energy there that day. And so I, I wanted just to thank all of the women who were a part of that. Uh, who um, uh, came out, who um, got people to give different, um, different uh, contributions to be able to help women in need in the community uh, and just for the whole event. It was actually, um, I mean, I've been to a lot of things in the church over the years, but it was one of the best things I ever attended, and I wasn't even supposed to be there. Uh, I just came to help out, but I left so encouraged. So thank you to the women for having that event. I know, I, I know that it's going to help people both in the community as well as us as a church. So I just wanted to say that. I also wanted to say thank you so much for Ryan and Ryan and for their preaching and their teaching and just all the things they do to help out with our ministry it's great to be able to lead and have a sense of confidence that uh, the, the, the messages and the sermons and the lessons are going to be better than I could do them. So thank you, thank you, and I just so appreciate that. I also appreciate the leadership that we have in this ministry. We have a very uh, mature group of people that have many who have been in the Lord for years and years, and I'm just grateful. Lee and I are both grateful for this ministry. We're grateful for the relationships that we have, and we're really grateful for the years that many of us have had uh, together. Uh, that goes into my sermon today, which is on Jesus and relationships, and I'll be talking a little bit about the one another way. There are many, many one another scriptures in the Bible, and some of them come directly from Jesus or by his manner and his example and his way of life. He shows us how to have relationships, and so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Lee and I, as I mentioned, we were gone. We were actually on a road trip, uh, road trip 2023. Um, we hadn't been on a road trip in forever, uh, not just before, um, you know, COVID, but I mean, many years before uh, COVID, and uh, so we drove all the way down to uh, North Carolina and spent a couple of days with the Wrights, Sheridan and Debbie Wright in North Carolina. And then we drove to Spartanburg, South Carolina and had uh, a, a meal with uh, Lee's aunt and that was fantastic. Then we drove down to Florida and we spent a couple of days with Lee's cousin, David. He's not only her cousin, he's one of my really good friends. I like him a lot. And so we had some time with him. And then while we were in Florida, our, uh, uh, Chelsea and Rob and the, the boys uh, met us at the Mouse. You guys probably recognize that, right? We met, we met at the Mouse, and we had a few days there, and that was a lot of fun. 
And then on the way back, we uh, stopped in North Carolina and visited some friends that we've known since college, uh, Rick and Lynn Overturp. They lead the ministry in North Carolina. Uh, and it was great. It was a lot of fun. We listened to a lot of books on tape. Uh, we also listened to a lot of classical rock music. I was telling Ryan McCullough, it's great these days that you can just talk to your car and you can say, as you, you know, you're approaching the Jersey border, you can say, play Bruce Springsteen. And all of a sudden the car just starts playing Bruce Springsteen. It's the most amazing thing. And so we listened to a lot of Springsteen and the Rolling Stones and Linda Ronstead and Jackson Brown and other people like that uh, on the way, especially when traffic hit, which we didn't hit much traffic, but we did on 95, you know, around DC. And uh, I, I was so amazed in, at DC and Baltimore and in that area, it just seems like construction will never end. Is it, is it ever going to stop there? Uh, and so anyway, I will say the Rolling Stones got me through Washington and Baltimore, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, but we got to uh, drive through the Shenandoah Valley, which was amazing. And I don't know my next slide here. If any of you have ever seen Bucky's, do you, do you know Bucky's on the 95 corridor? I, I didn't know of them. Uh, like I said, I hadn't done a road trip in a while. I didn't know they were from Texas, actually. But now they've got uh, on the 95 border, and it's hard to miss them because they're these gigantic billboards that you come up upon, and it says, uh, cleanest restrooms on I-95. And that just invites you to, oh, really? It, it, can that be true? Uh, and, um, but then it says 100 miles. I mean, they advertise these things like 100 miles, 80 miles, 70 miles. And so you're actually building up the anticipation. I'm going to check out these restrooms and see if they really are the cleanest restrooms. And we drove into this place. And some of you know a convenience store. You know stores like Wawa. This is Wawa on steroids. I mean, there are at this one on the South Carolina, North Carolina border, there are 120 gas pumps. Imagine that, 120 gas pumps. And I will say, they were the cleanest restrooms on I-95. It wasn't false advertisement. So if you ever go by a Bucky's, you just got to stop in. Just stop in for a little while. You can buy so much crazy stuff there. You can literally buy buckets of bacon grease. <laughs> yeah, they have, they have Dr. Pepper Ices, which is awesome. They have homemade chips, hot biscuits, pulled pork. There's a whole wall. I don't think I included this. There's a whole wall of beef jerky. Okay, a whole wall of beef jerky. And, uh, you know, just thinking about it makes me want to jump back in the car and go back down there right now. Who wants a road trip? I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's just, this place is crazy awesome. Um, and so I invite you to check that out if you're ever on 95. You hit them, I think, at that North Carolina, South Carolina border, then you'll see them in Georgia and Florida and other places. But it was amazing to spend time with our friends. The rights are fantastic. Uh, many of you know them from the, they've been around the ministry here. They actually studied the, the Bible with uh, Phil and Iris. And so all of us um, owe a little something to the rights for being in their life. And uh, then we got to visit with the Overturfs, a couple of our dear friends from college. And we've gotten closer over the years because 
they've been in the ministry and, and we're in the ministry. Um, and I want to just to say, you know, when I, when I think about those relationships, it's just so important to have safe, healthy relationships in our lives. People that you can go to and you can just talk about anything. And also people that you can go to and whatever your last conversation was, you might not have seen them in a year or two years, but you just pick up where you left off. And the friendship is just organic and it's just natural. And that's those, those are the type of relationships that we have with the rites and the overtures, just safe relationships in which um, we were able just to talk about anything and everything. And this is what Jesus invites for us in his community to have. He wants us to have these type of friendships. Obviously, we can't be that close to everyone, but there ought to be a few. There ought to be a few relationships where we just think, you know what, I need to talk to someone. Here's someone I can talk to. And this is what you see when you look at Jesus and you look at Jesus and relationships, or you look at Jesus and you look at Jesus and the one another way. Dr. Cloud and Dr. Townsend, in one of their books, they have a couple of quotes here. Let me see if we can get to that one. This is part of the quote here, and that's the book that it comes from, Boundaries. The first part goes like this. Often people in the church who are teaching others how to grow eliminate the role of the body. In fact, sometimes these people teach their students, um, teach that their students don't need people at all, that Christ alone is sufficient, or that his word or prayer is enough. They actively and directively lead others not to depend on people at all. They think that, um, they think that is wrong. And this is the second part of the quote right here. But the Bible teaches that all these things are part of the process, including other people. So as we talk about all the different aspects of how people grow, we want to emphasize loudly the role of the body. Years of research and experience back up this reality. You must have relationships to grow. And that's the bottom line of what they're saying is, we have to have relationships to grow. And we ought to appreciate the body of Christ, that in the body of Christ, Jesus has given us relationships that help us in our spiritual lives, that we have safe people, that we can develop organic relationships with people, that we have friendships, that even though we might not have seen someone for a year, you just pick up and you carry on wherever you left off. This is what the body of Christ gives us. And so we should appreciate that and develop that. This is one of the great things about being in the church. There are many blessings about being in the church, but this is one of the great blessings that you actually have people that want to help you. You actually have people that want to see you grow and that are there to help you to grow. That there are people who are willing to invest their time and invest their, their lives in you. And this is really uh, so important. I don't know how many of you remember back to Superstorm Sandy or Hurricane Sandy in the year 2012. How many of you remember that storm coming through? Yeah, a lot of us were here and we were around and it really wrecked havoc on the New York, uh, in the New York, New Jersey area. Uh, most residents after the storm had lots of cleaning up to do. There were power outages. There, were, there, were, uh, there was gas shortage. The uh, tr truckers just couldn't get up here. 
and with their tank, uh, tanks full of, of gas. I can remember sitting in a gas line uh, for uh, an hour just waiting to refill my car. Wasn't a big deal because I take a book with me wherever I go. And so <laughs> I got some reading done while I was waiting uh, for the line to clear. Um, but, and there were so many fallen trees and people that lost their houses and homes. And one of the, one of the side effects of that was so many people pitched in to help each other. I mean, and that's what happens in a crisis. But we shouldn't wait for a crisis to pitch in and help each other. We should be just naturally pitching in and trying to help each other. But sometimes that's hard because, for one thing, it's hard for some of us to ask. I'm that way. It's hard for me to ask for help. I just, uh, I'm, I'm too much of an individualist to, to easily do that. If I'm really, really in a pinch, I'll do it but it's not a natural thing for me to do. I can remember in my backyard, a, a tree fell onto another tree and I had to take care of that. And so, uh, because it was, it was dangerous. And so I got out there with my chainsaw and I thought, okay, I'm just gonna be a lumberjack right now. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this tree down. And I uh, fired up the chainsaw. I went at that tree. And if you ever have tried to, to get a tree to fall, there comes that point in time in which you're sawing and you're going, you know, you're getting into the tree and you start hearing the crackle of the tree starting to pop and you realize it's about time to say timber and to get out of the way, okay? This tree is about to go here. And so you start hearing those crackles and hearing those pops. Well, I mistimed the pop altogether, okay? And so I'm here and I'm hearing some crackling and then all of a sudden I hear snap and I don't have time to say timber. Instead, what I do is I just start running. I just close my eyes and run as far away from the tree as I can, hoping I'm running the right direction. And I have the chainsaw still in my hand. So I'm running with the chainsaw in my hand away from wherever this tree might fall. And I, because my eyes are closed, I trip. I trip over my own two feet and the chainsaw goes up in the air. And the, the, the only thing I could think to do was cradle, cradle, get in a ball, get in a ball, get as small as you can get. So I put my hands over my head and I just wait. And the chainsaw hits beside me and I'm like, whew, that's good. But then I think, oh, the tree is still falling. I haven't heard the tree yet. And so I'm waiting for that next. And, and then I hear that giant thud. It was just a giant thud. And the tree missed me. And I looked up because the first thing you do after you do something so embarrassing like that, you try to see, is anybody watching? <laughs> right? You know that. Yeah. Did anybody see that but me and God, you know? And, and, but I couldn't really tell because my glasses had flown off. Okay. And so I'm there half blind wondering if people had seen, has anyone saw that? And, I'm, and the next thing I am, I'm patting all over the grass, trying to find my glasses. I finally get them, I put them on, and I look up and nobody's looking. And I'm like, well, that's a story to tell. I got, I got a story out of that anyway. But uh, that's all because I should have asked for help. I should have gotten somebody else out there. I probably actually should have paid for someone to do it, 
you know, that had experience doing that kind of thing. But when you're not willing to ask for help, you can get yourself in trouble. We need each other. And we need to be willing to ask for help. We need to be willing to give help. And um, that's what really this lesson is all about. It's about being willing to be in each other's lives and have a community, a helpful, healthy community where we get into each other's lives. And the great thing about Jesus is Jesus models this for us. Jesus shows us how to do this. He teaches about it, but he also lived it out in his own life. And so if we're people that follow Jesus, then we're going to look to him for an example in doing this. But think about your own spiritual life. Do you have people in your life that you can go to, and they, they are healthy relationships that you have, that you feel safe with these people, that you feel like, well, here's a strong spiritual relationship, and I can ask this person anything. I can tell this person anything. Do those relationships have a priority in your life? We need each other. We need to be a community that looks like that. And so I want to talk about, just for a little bit, Jesus and the one another way. And I got two points. And so the first point is here. Jesus sets an eternal example. If we're looking at Jesus and relationships, the first thing we can note about Jesus is, he sets this example for us. But it's not just an example he set on the earth. He sets an eternal example about the importance of relationships. Jesus was, was a member of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are eternally relational with each other. Another way of thinking about those three members of the Trinity is, God the Creator, Jesus the Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit the Sustainer. Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. They all have their place. They all have their role. They all do different things, but they work together eternally are working together for the good of humanity. And this is the example that they set. And Jesus speaks of this unity that he has with the Father, he speaks of this in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 24. And so if you want to turn there, you can turn there. If not, just listen as I read John 17, 20 through 24. And Jesus gives us this example of being relational. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for all of those who will believe in me through their message. That's, that's his apostles. I don't just pray for my apostles. I pray for everyone that's going to listen to them and follow their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, Jesus is talking about unity, and he talks about the unity that he wants to have with his, uh, in his followers, okay, as his followers follow him, their unity, but he bases it on, bases it on a very, very high standard, and that is, Father, 
just as you are in me and I am in you, let them be the same to one another. That's an incredibly high standard, that the unity that the Father has with Jesus and Jesus has with the Father, he expects us to have. And he prays that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Not only that, he talks about the purpose of that unity, which is always a good thing to know. I mean, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, here's your standard, but he also says, and here's why. It's always good to ask why. Why am I doing this? Why is the key to proper motivation? Why am I doing this? Well, Jesus says, here's why. And, and he, he answers it by saying, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. People are looking at the church. They're looking at our relationships. And in our relationships, they will see the living God. And they will see the unity of the Father and the Son. And they'll be drawn to the Father and the Son through the way that we relate to one another. That's the purpose behind it. And I appreciated that about Jesus. He doesn't just say, hey, hey, here's your standard. Live up to it. He says, hey, there's a reason behind this. Because people are looking at you. And people, as they look at you, you want to set a good example for them. And his example leads us. I find these verses to be incredibly challenging, personally. I, because I'll, I'll, I'll just admit, I am happy and content being by myself. Okay, I am a natural introvert. And so if I spend time by myself, sometimes I talk to myself, and it's the most intelligent conversation you could ever imagine. I mean, it is, it, the, the, I'm, I'm kidding about that, but I do talk to myself. But for the point is, I'm an introvert. I am happy just, just being out in the woods. And when I'm out in the woods, I talk to trees. And I sit down on, on, on rocks, and I just say, thank you. Thank you for letting me sit right now. And I, I have those kind of conversations. Nobody's around. And so I'm just out there enjoying life, enjoying myself. But then for me, the challenging thing is when I'm around people, I find it to be draining. And you might think, well, Steve, that sounds incredibly selfish. And I used to think that myself. And I used to hear, have a lot of people tell me that. But then I realized after years of thinking about it and years of looking at scriptures and years of just growing up and maturing in Christ, God made me this way. I have a choice, being an introvert, of whether I'm going to be selfish or not. But being an introvert doesn't make me selfish. God made me this way. God, there's a, the difference, if you don't know the difference, okay, a little lesson within a lesson right here, okay? If you don't know the difference between an introvert and an extrovert, it's very simple. And it, it, if you're around a group of people, an introvert finds that draining. Their energy is drained by that. If you're around a group of people, an extrovert finds that energizing, and they thrive on it, and they like it. And that's the difference, okay? My wife is more of an extrovert than I am. And so when we're around people, she's like, can we just stay longer? Let's just be here a little bit longer, okay? And I'm like, honey, I, I, it's time to go, okay? <laughs> Even if it's not really time to go, it's time to go, okay? 
But that's just the difference. She gets energized by being around people. For me, I find it draining. And God made me that way. Now, here's the thing, and the, again, a lesson within a lesson. Whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, selfishness is a choice that both make. Okay? I know extroverts where they appear to be so giving and they're just, they're just filling up the room with their, you know, their energy. But actually what they're doing is they're taking up all the air in the room because they're selfish about it. And they make everything about them. That's, that's a selfish extrovert. You can be selfish as an extrovert or an introvert. God made us with that type of disposition. And you have to understand that about yourself. Because I need time after I'm with people to regroup. For an extrovert, after they're with people, they're like, where's the next group? You know, let me be with somebody else now. But it's harder for them to be alone. It's harder for them just to sit and think. If you want to do a really good study on what introversion is, there's a great book called Quiet. And you can actually find a, a TED Talk about it as well. It's by Susan Cain, a book by, uh, called Quiet, who did a great study on introversion and what it means to be an introvert. And one of the things that Susan Cain says in her book is, the world would not work without introverts. Also, the world would not work without extroverts. We need each other. We need people that are going to come into the room and they're going to bring energy. And we need people who are willing to sit down and think, let me think through this a little bit. I need some time to process this, which is much more what an introvert will do. We need people that are just A-types and they're like, let's go do this. Let's do this right now. And then we need people to say, wait a minute, have you really thought through that? You know, if you, if you go do that right now, where that's going to take us, we need, we need to think about this a little bit. We need both. And I bring all of this up simply to say that relationally, we do need each other. Um, I used to feel bad for being an introvert, but I've learned over the years that, you know, God made people to be introverts. He made them to be extroverts. And the choice to be selfish comes to both of them, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Jesus was relational. You know, I've been watching The Chosen, thanks to my wife. She pushed it on me and pushed it on me until I was like, okay, I submit, I surrender, I will watch this show. And it's an amazing show about Jesus and the disciples and the gospels. And one of the things I appreciate so much about that show is um, the way that Jesus is pictured. And I'll talk about it in, in the next point too. But one of the things that I appreciate about Jesus is Jesus just isn't always out there with people, um, there are times where even the disciples look up and they're like, where did he go? Where is he? And I, I, I always love that when, I, when that happens. They're looking at each other like, when's he coming back? I don't know when he's coming back. Because even Jesus needed time alone. That's in the gospels, people. Even Jesus needed time to be with God and to recharge his batteries. We all need that at times, and some of us need it more than others, but we got to be there for each other. Jesus was and is relational. Eternally, Jesus is relational. So as you think about that, think about who are your closest relationships. 
What people do you make yourself available for? How do you live in community with other followers of Jesus? What do you bring to the community? And do you present a part of the community that is healthy and is safe? Which leads me to my second point on Jesus. And that is Jesus walked with his disciples and he taught them about God and he taught them about relationships. So Jesus wasn't just and is eternally relational. Jesus showed how to be relational in his life. And also he taught about how to be relational. Jesus mentored the 12. I mean, he was walking with them, teaching them. But he spent time with them. He spent time with other people and with the multitudes. But he also had conversations one-on-one with people. I think about Nicodemus. And I think about the woman by the well. And he taught people about his rule and his reign. And then he got off to be by himself and be with God. And then he came back and reconnected with his disciples and with people. He sent them out, his disciples, and had them come back and report to him. He prepared them for life, life after he was gone. He prepared them for his cross. And a big part of the narrative of Jesus is Jesus preparing his community. It's Jesus in relationship with other people. Within the 12, Jesus had closer relationships. And I think there's an important lesson there. We can't be equally close to everyone. And so we have friendships, and then we have really close friendships. But Jesus picked Peter, James, and John to teach a little more to and to spend a little more time with. Uh, In a sense, a study of the Gospels is a study of Jesus and the one another way, Jesus and relationships. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus shares his life and his message. He goes from village to village. Now, in in this TV series, The Chosen, It's a show about the Gospels, but so many of the stories actually didn't happen in the Gospels. They're just stories about how might this have occurred. And one of the highlights of the series for me is watching Jesus with his disciples and watching him relationally with them. There's a character, uh, one of the apostles, and his, his name is Little James. So you have Big James and you have Little James. And Little James... And I'm, you know, if, if you haven't watched it, I, I'm going to spoil a little bit, but not a whole lot. Little James walks with a limp, and he, and he walks with a staff. And he has this, this weakness in his body. And Jesus sends out the 12 to go heal people. And he sends them out, and he says, go, and I give you this power, and you can cast out demons, and you can heal people. And those who are infirm and can't walk, you can, you can give them the ability to walk. And after Jesus does this, James approaches him, limping on his staff. And he says, Jesus, why not me? You send me out to heal other people. Why haven't you healed me? And it's one of the deepest and one of the most beautiful parts of the whole series to see James approach Jesus, and Jesus doesn't come back at him. Jesus doesn't speak down to him or anything like that. Jesus listens to him, heals his hurt, and he says, James, because of what you are going through, when you heal other people, people are going to see it more clearly than they see it from anyone else. 
And it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. But it's about that relationship between Jesus and little James. And I appreciate the series for doing that kind of thing. There's another part in the series where the apostle Peter gets really angry and he's hurt. He's hurt because of a loss in his life. And he gets really upset about this loss in his life. And I really related to this scene because I just felt it. I felt it deep in my own life. And Peter is upset. He's angry. The Messiah is right there with him. And he's like, how could this happen? How could this happen? And in the way the show plays it out, the, all the apostles except Peter are off, and they're about to help in this region um, in which there's a lot of contention. And Jesus says, we can't start without Peter. We got to wait for Peter. And that's what he does. He waits for Peter to get his head together before he starts. And he gives Peter the space to be able to do that. And I thought that was so beautiful that they had Jesus doing that for Peter. He didn't go to Peter and say, you know, Peter, you can't be angry. Peter, get rid of your anger. Because the fact is, anger happens. It's an emotion. And we need to control it and show self-control but it happens. Hurt happens. In life, bad things happen. But God waits for us. Jesus waits for us. And in this case, Jesus waited for Peter. These relationships, you read them in the, in the New Testament, and you see them visually in this series. In John 13, verses 31 through 38, I'm going to skip down to actually verse 34, which is what you have up here. You could go back and read the rest. It says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And then he says this, and it's another high standard. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And then again, he gives the purpose. He says, why? Yeah, here's this high standard, a standard that's so high, it's going to be really difficult for you to live this way. But here's the reason. And he says to them, by this, all people will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. He answers the question, why? Jesus gives a very specific command here, um, and it's to love one another. But then he goes, and he actually says, this is going to be the distinguishing mark of Christianity, your love for one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. We demonstrate Christianity to others by being close to people and loving people. And so we have to ask, how important are our relationships? Are you close to people? Do you have people that you share things with? Do you have people in your life in which you have these safe relationships? Sometimes we sing this song, and the chorus of it goes, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love, and they'll know we are Christians by our love. And that's an important concept. When people look at us, do they know we're Christians? By the way we treat each other and how we love each other. Jesus says, go love one another. And he actually makes this a command. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, it says, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, 
and to love one another as he commanded us. And you might question, and people do question, how can you command love? How could Jesus actually command that? Isn't love an emotion? Isn't love something you feel? Well, not the love Jesus is talking about, agape love, which is unconditional love. It's actually a decision that you make. It's a commitment that you make to look out, to look to the needs of others more than you look to the needs of yourself, which is the way that Jesus lived his life. He speaks of putting others above our own personal needs, and this is agape love. Why are we commanded to love? Because to be honest, if we weren't commanded to do it, we might not do it. It's challenging. It's challenging to love other people. It's much easier to not put yourself out there and just love yourself. You know, I've learned over the years, I mean, I love the church. I think the church is amazing. And there are things that happen in the church in which it upsets me, just like I'm sure it upsets all of you. But I also know that the church is an amazing place because of God, because Jesus died for the church, because of the love of God that's here in the church. And I know where I would be in my own life without the church, and it's not a pretty picture. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful. But I'm also, I also know that when Jesus says, this is my command, love one another, that I need that. I need that because I look around and I look at the church and even I look in a mirror and I see there's all kinds of quirky, weird, strange, wonderful, fantastic, incredible, incredible, eccentric, bizarre, absurd, wacky, extraordinary, magnificent people in the church. I looked at a guy one time in the church, a guy in the church, and this guy, I love, I love this brother so much. He's an awesome brother, and I won't tell you his name. You can guess, okay? He's not, he's not here in this room. So, But I looked at him, and I thought, this is the quirkiest guy I've ever met in my life. He's got all these things, all these quirks that are going on. And after spending the afternoon with him, I went home, and I looked in the mirror, and I said, there's the quirkiest guy <laughs> in the world. It's, it's actually, you got second place. This guy has first place right here, me, because I bring all kinds of weirdness wherever I go. Um, it's just, again, how, how God made me. But we need to hear love one another in spite of anything, love one another. We are commanded to love because love is risky business. It is. Love isn't easy. Um, but Jesus gives us no choice. We, we need to make the decision to love and keep the commitment to love because Jesus says, love one another. And then he puts the purpose behind it. If you love like that, if you love like that with all the quirks and the strangeness and also all the um, magnificence and, and incredibleness that goes along with it, people are going to take notice of that. They're going to see that. They're going to see that people can come together from different backgrounds. People can come together from different races. People can come together from different economic situations. People can come together with different educational backgrounds. 
People can come together, and some of them can like the Mets, and some of them can like the Yankees, and some of them can like the Jets, and some of them can like the Giants. We call this side over here losers. We call this side over here winners. And <laughs> but people can, you know, can come from all kinds of different backgrounds, and we can get, uh, you know, we can love each other, and people take notice of that. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They don't see it everywhere, but they appreciate what they see when they do see it. And that's the model Jesus gives us. Jesus gives us a model where he loved us first. And he loved us in spite of our quirks and in spite of our wackiness and our weirdness and in spite of our mistakes and our failures. He loved us to strengthen our strengths and to make the most out of us and make the best out of us and to teach us how to be spiritual. He invested his life in us, literally gave his life for all of us. That's the example of love that Jesus gives. And so I invite all of us to let's be more loving with each other. Let's learn to love with the love that Jesus has. Let's not set limits on our love or put boundaries on our love, but let's decide to love unconditionally. Jesus was relational. Jesus taught the one another way, both in his life and his eternal being and in his teaching. And let's learn to embrace the one another way and be the church that Jesus wants us to be. Amen.